0: Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, and it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Lord God, um, We thank you for your words. We thank you that, Lord God, um, in love you have provided us with um, a light for our feet and a lamp unto our path, Lord God. Um, I pray that you would help us not to depart from it, Lord. Father, um, I pray that you would have your way today, Lord. I pray that um, you would speak to the hearts of your people. Um, Help me not to be an obstacle to that. Amen First um, Corinthians 13 So if you've ever been to a wedding You've probably heard it read out during the readings um, And it's probably more likely that you've heard it If you've been to a secular wedding Or unbelievers wedding Um and I think the reason probably is something like this, that believers are kind of tired of, of the reading because they feel like it's taken out of context, You know, because it's the love passage, love is like this, love is like that, we're at a wedding, oh, isn't it lovely, everything's so lovely. Um, it's such a common passage that it, you know, it's so easy to take for granted. And what I want to do today is just to explore a little bit about you know, what, what Paul intended in writing this. You know, what is love from a Christian perspective? Um, which is a massive task. Um, and so ultimately, it's not going to be comprehensive, but forgive me. Um, yeah. Context. So, chapter 13 is sandwiched in between chapter 12 and 14, obviously, of Corinthians. And there's an extended argument going on. Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he's talking about the disorderly use of the gifts. Corinth is a place where wisdom and skill and status... Um, are all esteemed and because of this um, the Corinthian believers they're not, they're not very loving in their use of the gifts. <coughs> so Paul writes to rebuke them, he writes to correct this and um, yeah, we find him in the middle of his argument he, he's got to a point where he said look it's good to Aspire to these gifts. It's good to want the best gifts. However, there's a better way. So, verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I speak in the tongues of men. So, here Paul's referring to the gift of tongues, which, as he puts it, is the ability to speak in languages, tongues of men, and we all do, we all speak English, but just imagine like, for a second that someone like me or you had the gift to speak multiple languages, maybe some of you do, and it's quite an impressive gift. Some of you don't know, well most of you don't know, but I'm fluent in a few languages myself, So I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) I speak English, I speak American and Australian. Um, (laughs) Let's say for the um, sake of Paul's argument that this person can speak all the languages in the world. I have this fantasy sometimes that I'm on a train and there's someone um, on the seat opposite me and they're speaking to um, whomever they're with in a language that to all intents and purposes I shouldn't be able to understand, you know, when you look at me you just think, "Ah, oh, this guy wouldn't be able to understand our language. And they're saying something rude about me. <laughs> and in, in, in my daydream, I kind of, I look up and I say something wise but gracious. <laughs> and then I nod my head in a intellectual and morally superior way whilst they're gasping <laughs> anyway I just I'd share my fantasy with you guys um, Paul doesn't stop there though this person isn't limited to the earth it's he's not, he's not just the, all the languages in the world but it goes on to say and of angels so this person can speak like an angel they speak languages or a language that is alien to this earth. <coughs> and these are amazing gifts of God. Just consider, consider, sorry, for a moment what you would think about a person who could speak every language in the world. Realistically, it's the type of person who would probably make your heart flutter, those of you who are unattached which I'm assuming a lot of us are because we're not at a married um, conference, okay? The type of person who would attract a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, someone that people would quickly fall in love with no matter what they would look like. And yet, as amazing, amazing as this person sounds, Paul inserts four little words that stick a spanner in the works but have not love. And we get it, don't we? I think we all more than know that it's possible to be greatly gifted and yet completely lacking in some area of character. Just look at celebrities. There are many gifted and talented but utterly spoiled and badly behaved musicians, actors, sports people, Probably got someone in your head right now. And Paul says that if someone has a speaking gift but they lack love, they're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, just a little while ago, we heard um, the church bells, um, and I thought actually they sounded quite lovely. And you know, you come out of a wedding and you hear the bells, doo, 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 and you think, oh, that's so beautiful. But this is probably more like someone playing the drums next door when you're trying to get to sleep. It's just offensive. And if we broaden the idea of a gift of speaking beyond um, of languages, we can say that we've all been there. There's a sister or a brother in need, upset, stressed out. And we say just the right thing in just the right way. That scripture comes back to our memory at just the right time. Or, someone's acting up, and we let them have it, like, <clears throat> just to save them for their own foolishness. And whatever we're saying is so correct that it's not just biblical, it's super biblical. You know, that kind of way where you're like, words like these They haven't been uttered since Jesus was here (laughs) But it's just offensive Annoying and offensive And when we ask ourselves why We tell ourselves, well, the gospel's an offence It's a stumbling block But Paul tells us that we lack love (laughs) Well, what is love? In Ephesians 4.15 You don't need to turn there Paul commands us to speak the truth in love. And surely, if I'm telling someone the truth, and the truth is what's good for them, then I'm loving them, right? Well, we'll come back to that. Verse two. And if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Excuse me. And if I have prophetic powers. Now the gift of prophecy is one of the higher spiritual gifts that the Corinthians were told by Paul to earnestly desire. Sorry, at the end of chapter 12. And um, in a very basic sense, prophecy, whatever your stance on it, on some level has to do with God revealing his will in some form or another. Um, No it doesn't have to be about the future And Paul visualises someone that has Such an intimate link to God Or to the mind of God That because of this they can understand all mysteries All mysteries, things like Why did Adam and Eve sin Even though they were perfect Or how How does God's sovereignty Work out with our free will What will heaven be like Or, what on earth are the characters talking about in The Matrix part two and three? (laughs) So, in addition to this Paul might be more specifically referring to mysteries that God has already revealed like the gospel and the purpose of marriage, which we can all understand in part yet the deeper we go there's always more to consider and all knowledge, so the clarity with which this prophetic-powered understander of, of all mysteries just gets things is unbelievable, so ordinary things like the alphabet to this type of a person the alphabet wouldn't be just a set of letters but a reference to the history of England Scandinavia and other places It would be a relative of other alphabets as a whole and in parts, a system of sounds that govern how we speak and read, and much more. And every time they looked at something, intricate details that we couldn't process all at once, would be just a small part of one big, clear picture for them. If you add this up, it equals someone who's outstanding. That's probably an understatement. Someone who speaks all languages fluently, knows almost everything. For a person like that, people will probably tr- um, travel miles to hear them speak. you would probably be like, teach me. Teach me how to live my life well. Teach me how to do better. Teach me how to raise my kids. Teach me how to stop taking relationships and time for granted. Teach me how to drop this addiction. Teach me. At this point, you're already like, this is a person I really want to know. But what, in, What? sorry, imagine in addition to speaking these languages, knowing nearly everything, they had... Amazing faith, all faith so as to remove mountains. This person already blows your mind with their mere presence and the deep things that they say. But now you see that the way that they trust God and it blows your mind again. This is the type of person who could walk into any situation with confidence because even though they might not know what the future holds, they definitely know who holds the future. The type of person who could endure bleak and terrible conditions or extreme injuries, knowing that all things that God allows to take place in their life are ultimately for their good, for their best interests. Those moments that cause us dread, anxiety and fear would come, and so would the feelings of dread, anxiety and fear. Yet, this is the type of person who would always testify of God's goodness, God's care, God's provision, God's compassion and mercy, and mean it with all their heart. And they would never waste one minute that they could be praying, praising and adoring God on anything else. Now how inspirational would it be to be around someone like that? However, Paul's four little words come up again but have not love. So what, All right, so what Paul, what if this amazing sounding individual doesn't have love? What does it mean? Well, Paul says, the person's nothing, I am nothing. Nothing. This person doesn't deserve any admiration. They're nothing, insignificant. Someone who's lacking in common sense, who loves people, has much more substance than this person. But what is love and what what quality do we have to give this incredible sounding person to make them something rather than nothing in Paul's eyes? Let's look at verse 3. It says, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned... What I have not love, I gain nothing. If I give away all I have. So, our divinely gifted person has stopped making their amazing gifts the focus. At last, we can say for definite that this person's actions have at least purposefully benefited others. And at the very least, the people who are in need have received something towards meeting that need. And this person also delivers up their body to be burned. So, martyrdom. And this is an amazing sacrifice. I can't even imagine being, you know, at a point where I'm ready to be martyred, I don't know about you. And there's no bigger sacrifice that a person could make for any cause. And that's why, um, protests like hunger strikes are so powerful. They show the seriousness of an issue and the absolute commitment to bring about change on the part of the protester. So, if this isn't acting in the best interests of a group of people, then what is? Surely now this person has been loving. But Paul disagrees and back come our four words but have not love and if this person has all these abilities and can do all this stuff but has not love they gain nothing. We often say that love is not about feelings, love is a verb, it's about doing not feeling. In Christian definitions of love often sounds something like this, being completely committed to the highest good of someone else and acting upon it, no matter how you feel. And that sounds about right, right? But there's a weird self-contradiction hiding within that definition. Because according to that definition, If I act in a way that, in a real sense, does what's good for another person, but I'm envious of something that they have, or I boast about how helpful I am, or I'm completely irritated with the person, I'm still loving them. And the emphasis here is on what I do for them. But Paul says in this case, I gain nothing. but what is there to gain from loving someone isn't it essentially supposed to be a selfless thing (laughs) I think that Paul's word choice here is not a casual one let's look at the verses below to see what Paul's talking about so verse 4 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude It does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now just reading it over casually, it doesn't seem like love is mostly about doing or even about being committed. I wonder when are we most patient and kind with people? Or when are we not envious of someone but genuinely happy to see them prosper? When, even though you're forced to go out of your way for someone, do you not feel irritable or resentful? When do you feel most sad that someone's been done wrong in some way? Or most happy that they've been proven right? Right. When are you most ready to believe in someone's ability or their innocence? Or when do we actively and most consistently hope good things for people? And when are we most willing to voluntarily endure strife, stress, problems and pain because of others? I would argue that it's when we like the person. when we feel like we're part of their life and we're invested in them and in their development. When we have a real sense of affection and warmth for them. And that brings me back to why our earlier definition of love is self-contradictory. That definition says, just do it. If you're irritated by someone, but you do something for their good, You've loved them despite your irritation. After all, love doesn't depend on feelings. (coughs) And I want to say that I think we're guilty of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It's a really mechanical way of thinking about love. And I don't know about you, but I've fully bought into that way of thinking about love because it suits me just fine. I'm free to, as one person put it, be distant, aloof, and totally (laughs) self-concerned. And that's who I am, and a lot of you know that. But if you think logically about it, let's say, for example, you're supporting a team in some sport, or an athlete like Usain Bolt. By default, you're committed to their good because you want them to win. So you cheer them on. And even when you're watching the TV, and they can't hear you, you're passionate. Can you imagine someone buying a ticket from for, sorry, for the front row of the 100 metres finals last year and cheering on Usain Bolt to win, and then saying afterwards that they didn't like him in the first place? Love is like being a supporter of the person you show love to. You're cheering them on to do their best and you do anything you can to help. You may not be their best friend but love assumes that your actions are genuinely friendly. And if you look back at the end of verse 3 you gain. When you're invested in someone and they do well you do well. Most parents, siblings or even very close friends know this feeling. But even a supporter in football sorry, even a supporter of a football team providing their good, or Usain Bolt know this feeling. Love is not a mechanical thing. Let's think again about our hypothetical friend who had all these amazing divine qualities. And even ended up giving their life Let's think of for a minute Who who does that sound like So Paul outlines this person um, Who knows all things All mysteries um, Has all these supernatural abilities And gives up their life Who does it sound like And yet Paul says that this person doesn't have love in the book of john chapter 15 verse 13 john says greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends so if someone lays down their life for you there's no greater love but not necessarily that could just be selflessness an awareness that doing the right thing is more important than themselves as an individual. But, as the verse states, if, it, if their actions are motivated by friendship, then that's love. Or in other words, if their death is not just done because it's the right thing to do, but because they want in a cheering you on sort of a way, to see you prosper, then it's love. And this is what Jesus did for us. When you read the Gospels, what you see is someone who is passionate about choosing to lay his life down so that people could move out from under the condemnation of God's wrath and into his, his kingdom and fatherly care. Jesus was utterly passionate about it. So much so that he became a social outcast. He was chilling with groups who were seen in the same way that we might view Jimmy Savile today or those who were seen like the guys in Woolwich who killed um, Drummer Rigby as national traitors and murderers or those who just thought that they were better than everyone else even God. He lived a... As a homeless person to get his message, sorry, he lived as a homeless person to get his message to them, and ultimately he gave his life as a substitute for theirs. It wasn't a mechanical death, he was passionate, invested, he hoped all things, believed all things, and endured all things. So, looking at verses 4 to 7 again, personally, I see a whole list of qualities that look pretty impossible to follow. Because we react in the blink of an eye. Whether we've expressed responses or internal feelings and thoughts. And realistically, we have no control over that initial feeling or thought even if we respond maturely. In this sense, it makes me think that love is a progressive thing that we're to grow into. But more so than that, love is a God thing that we're given. These qualities belong to God and we have them in part, but we lack. Now we can pretend that we have them in full. we can pretend that we always want to see others prosper and actively will them on to succeed or we can repent. I was speaking to Io about this text and um, he just reminded me how closely um, these qualities are aligned with the fruit of the spirit in Galatians and then he reminded me that the cultivation of these qualities depends on God's grace. And sure, we must direct our will towards doing our Father's will, but a large part of what he wants is for us to continually repent. And when we recognise that our love is not genuine, to turn away from anything that looks like the real thing, but just isn't. And the reason for this is that what happens is Doing things or acting in the right way becomes a substitute for really loving someone. And in the end, we use up a lot of energy covering up the sin of not loving someone, thinking that we can force out love from ourselves. When Jesus died a loving death so that Christians would have his Holy Spirit and grow in genuine love. Now, I know this sermon hasn't had any practical application but I'm saying to you as I'm saying to myself repent repent of dead works and trust in him Um, I'd like to conclude and um, I'd just like you to to think on these things I'm not saying that love doesn't have to be done. Love must be done in order to be love. It is a verb. But it's not only a verb. That verb is an expression. It's a result of God's spirit working his love in us. First for his people and then for all others. The the hypothetical person in Paul's argument looks like Jesus, and in some cases acts like him, but doesn't love like him. Though real love isn't about emotionalism, neither is love dispassionate or uninvested. Love is interested, love is invested, love is hopeful for gain. True love is of and from God. So we must recognize when we consciously fall short and repent of dead works, seek his face and rely on his grace. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Father God, I just pray that... um, that you would have mercy on me. Lord, by your spirit that you would communicate what you have for your people to your people, Lord God. I pray that you would apply it to their hearts. Father, have mercy on us. Help us to let our love be genuine. And I pray that you would do this for the sake of your son, Jesus, who loved us and died for us. Amen.
1: just want to sing a last song, just worship the Lord. Um, Having heard what the Lord has to say to us about loving one another, not just a doing thing, but actually in the love of God, let's render ourselves to the Lord so he can help us do that because we can't do it of ourselves. We are selfish and impatient, unkind, self-centered, God is kind and loving and merciful and gracious and so we need him in our lives to do everything that we've heard today so let's just surrender ourselves to him today Thank you.
0: Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.